Romans chapter 12, we're beginning to look at these first two verses here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Our Father, we are thankful to hear your word this morning in our Old Testament and New Testament readings that we've heard already. And pray, Lord, that as we listen to these uh, few verses now, that you would help us in our Christian life to better appreciate the mercy shown to us and live in light of that mercy, giving our lives to you sacrificially, welcoming the transformation of our minds, uh, the renewal that you've brought to us, Lord. Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think a sense of entitlement might be the greatest problem that we face in the Christian life. Uh, The test case for this really is to ask the question, what do I think about me made God want to save me? Ask yourself that question. What about me made God want to save me? Now, if you've answered anything about yourself, obviously you've got the gospel wrong, right? You don't understand the gospel. And I suspect most of you wouldn't actually say anything about you. At least you would hope not to. But I suspect even though we know that, and let me tell you, I know that. I know I don't deserve to be saved. Nothing in my life has made me worthy. But even though I can rehearse this truth, even in my own mind or out loud to you now, I don't live like it's true. Let me give you another test. Do I live each day, do I live today motivated by the mercy that God has shown me to sacrificially give my life to Him? Every day, am I so captivated by the mercy of God that I offer my life to God sacrificially? If our answer is, no, I don't, well, then I suspect it's because we felt entitled. That is, we have taken for granted the very thing that has been given to us. If we have failed to appreciate the opportunity we have to live in the newness of life, then we have taken the life given to us for granted. We've treated our salvation in some sense as something we are owed. We've presumed upon the kindness of God. But today, I don't think we're given a real firm rebuke. That might be good news. I was once told that I, I prefer the, uh, the stick to the carrot in the pulpit. And I'm cautious about that. Because I think Paul dangles a real carrot for us here. We're given a gentle, loving, and necessary reminder to live a life changed in view of God's mercy. And so the starting point for us in our passage is to take notice for the motivation for change. That is the gospel, the good news that we've been told. Paul has declared from the beginning of his letter to the Romans uh, that his ministry was in view of bringing about the obedience of faith. 
He wants us to be obedient because of the faith that we possess. And in bringing about this obedience, we require proper perspective on the kindness that God has shown to us. So very early on in Romans, Paul gives us this bleak portrait of humanity, showing us that no one is without sin. The most telling description comes from the Psalms in Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one is without sin. Sorry, no one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And in case you're tempted to think that you are the one, the one that's done righteous, we're reminded of gospel truth again in Romans 5, 6 to 8, that Christ died at the right time for the weak, not the strong. In fact, he died for us while we were yet sinners, not righteous. Now, it's difficult to grasp this truth. How how do I tell you this in a way that's not overly intellectual because on one hand it really is an intellectual truth and how do I tell you it in another way that's not overly emotional because it is an emotional truth so how do we lay hold of the wondrous mercy of Christ how do we do it in this context where we hear about it day in and day out and day in and day out and we can rehearse it in our sleep And we might even get bored with it. I hope not. How do we come to terms with how far gone we were before Christ trapped in our sin? And how do we appreciate that we, having been given life in Christ, now have this wonderful life to live? Well, there are many times when the ugly side of sin needs to be emphasized. But there are other times when the riches given to us need to be the focus, and I suspect that the latter is the case for us today, especially as this is what Paul focuses on for the believers who aren't Jewish, as I suspect is true for most of us here. Now, if you are Jewish, there's plenty to be said to you in Romans. But there's been so much about the royal family in the media lately, maybe this will help us. Imagine for a moment King Charles calls you. Yes, he personally rings you on the phone. And he says that he wants to include you in his will. He wants you to become part of his family. Now, I suspect most of you, like me, are not British citizens. Some of you may be. Congratulations. But let me just play out for the moment this illustration. If you're not a British citizen, you are not entitled to things like the benefits of taxes, public health care, any other normal benefits, if you will, of citizenship in the U.K., But he's not asking you to come and just be a citizen, some commoner. He's actually saying to you, he's picked you to be part of the family, the royal family. He's giving you a title, land, a future. Now, this would be strange. It would be lavish. It would be shocking to you, and it would be very shocking to every other British citizen, I'm sure, saying, what in the world, why them? But this is what's extended to you. There would be no explanation of it apart from calling it a really grand gift. To claim otherwise, because of your meager meager civil service or charitable donations or anything else, would be preposterous. But such is the nature of what God does for us. 
of what God has shown to you and me, except for we would need to multiply this gift by infinity. I mean, if we were to compare what God has given to us compared to what King Charles may offer us, King Charles's gifts would pale in comparison. They would seem poor and feeble compared to the riches of grace that God has shown to us in Jesus. And so the apostle wants the readers of Romans, you and me, to be motivated by this kind of mercy, this kind of grace. God has shown you mercy. And in view of these mercies, he wants us to live. So today, we need to get our motivation right. Now, where can we go wrong on this? On the one hand, I suspect we will neglect mercy to the detriment of not appreciating what's been given to us. I've just tried to make a case for that. I think we would, we would just deny the mercy that's been shown to us. We'll be apathetic about our Christian life. We'll be indifferent to the things of God, happy to embrace the ways of the world. And this would be an outright denial of the compassion that God has shown to us. But on the other hand, we could deny mercy in a different way, by acting as though change is what will make us acceptable to God. In other words, we would deny mercy in such a way that we must perform, transform, in order to become acceptable to God. But God has already been merciful. We remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the only healthy way to live is to accept the truth for what it is. You and I have been accepted by God because of the lavish mercy He has poured out upon us. And in view of this mercy, we will actively live in the light of this truth. We will take the kind gift that God has given to us with gratitude and not make waste of it. So first we notice the motivation for change. It's the gospel. And second, we see the scope of change all of our life. Paul exhorts us in verse 1 to present our bodies to God as sacrifices. What's envisioned is a radical undoing of the effects of sin in our lives. In a few minutes, we're going to consider the transformation of our minds. And in one sense, this is going to the source of the issue. We had a problem with the way of our thinking that then worked its way out into all of our lives. But Paul begins by starting with all of our lives here. Our bodies are where we see the symptoms of this. In Romans 1, 24 to 25, we read, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they had exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The consequence of our rejection of God And his ways was the total impact on our lives. Experienced through the entirety of our bodily existence. And next week as we look on to Romans 12, 3 to 8, we'll see further, I think, the way that the implications of sin have worked their way out and how Paul is envisioning a a radical renewal as that curse is undone for us and we live in the newness of life. But when it comes to our redemption, what Paul wants us to see is that we need help with our bodies. He says this in Romans 7, 24 to 25. Wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Likewise, Romans 8, 13, Paul contrasts the old life with the new. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And in Romans 8, 22 and 23, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul encourages us to present our bodies to God. We've been redeemed in Jesus. So now we are to give our whole life, our whole existence to God. And in doing so, we give them to him sacrificially. We don't offer ourselves in place of the sacrifice of Jesus, but because of Jesus. Because Jesus sacrificed everything for us. We're free to give ourselves to him now. In fact, this is precisely what it means for us to be living, holy, and acceptable sacrifices to God. We're made alive in Christ and holy in him. And it's in him that we are acceptable to God. So because we've been given new life in Jesus, we are supposed to live this new life completely unto the Lord. In fact, this is what is reasonable, Paul says. It's our reasonable response. It says spiritual worship. It's our reasonable worship. We're meant to see that because God has been so merciful to us, it's perfectly reasonable for us to give our whole life to him in worship, even sacrificially. We give him the life that he purchased at such a great, at such a great price. By the way, I love that we sang this life I live. Thank you, guys. I don't know if that was planned or not. Maybe it's just providential. Yeah, great. Great. Thank you, Lord. Thanks to you guys, too, but thank you, Lord, for your providence. So we see once more there's no presuming upon the grace of God. There's no presuming upon the grace of God. We cannot take the mercy he has shown to us for granted. Our new lives given to us are by God's kindness and mercy. Before he showed mercy to us, we were dead. Now that we've been given life, we are to freely offer it to God. What else would you do with that life? For too many, grace has become one more contribution to a life of selfishness. It's taken as permission to continue, living in our passions of the flesh, pursuing any and every worldly desire. God becomes our servant in this way, giving us a means to live a life whatever end we may choose it to be unto. But this is the most twisted way of thinking and living. How could such a great gift of life be wasted? How could the thing we are saved from continue to be the very thing we continue to live for? How perverse. Paul encourages us to live lives changed by the gospel, and the scope of this change includes all of life. We'll be exploring more particulars of what this will include as we continue in the next couple of weeks. 
But before we get to some of the specifics of what change looks like in the rest of the chapter, we're told about the heart of change. This is our final point, the heart of change in verse 2. It's a renewed mind. Paul contrasts the old way of life with the new, and he says, don't be conformed to this age, this time now, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind, renewal of your mind. Our original problem of sin was in many ways a problem of our minds. Romans 1.18 says that for the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Unrighteousness gets worked out by our suppression of the truth. In some sense, then, a mental denial of something. And he carries on in 121. Although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were then darkened. Here we see why the curse of sin spread throughout the whole body. We had knowledge of God that we suppressed, and this led to foolish thinking and living. And so because now of the mercy shown to us, we're called to be renewed in our mind, the renewal of our minds to be transformed now. We're supposed to live in the light of the truth of God, truth that is no longer suppressed but received. And what this really means is a reversal of foolishness. It means that we begin to live wisely. In fact, we're told that as our minds are renewed, we'll be able to approve what is God's will. That is what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what I think this means is that we'll be wise to know what the best option for us is as we follow the Lord. I don't think it means the easiest option, the most comfortable option, but I think we will be discerning about what is the faithful option. We'll understand what is ultimately good for us as we live unto the Lord. We should remember that what is good and acceptable and perfect is not necessarily something that we measure but something that God declares to us, and so we live by faith, trusting in the Lord's goodness. So how do you renew your mind? How is it that we don't conform to this age, but instead we are transformed by the renewal of our minds? Well, I believe this is the life that God gives to us by His Spirit. It's a life that we actively receive through the heeding of God's Word, the prayerful rejection of the deeds of the flesh and the constant encouragement that we receive through the fellowship of God's people. It's the Spirit that helps us to weigh the cares of the world so light and momentary with the eternally rich and glorious things of God. So today, brothers, I want us to see the Word encourages us not to take for granted the mercy that God has shown to us, but instead, in view of that rich, wonderful mercy that you have received and that I have received, we are not to continue in our former ways. We're not to conform to the world with all of its empty promises, but instead, because of the mercy that we've received, we are to live our lives sacrificially. 
We are meant to enjoy the undoing of the wretched curse brought upon us by sin. And we are to live a life transformed, appreciating and approving the good ways of our God. Let me pray. Father, as we've seen this headline charge for us in Romans 12, to live in light of what you've given to us in Christ, the newness of life that we have now by your Spirit, we pray, Lord, that we would heed this call not to be conformed to the world around us, but instead to actively pursue transformation of listening carefully to your word and of seeing all of reality through that lens. Pray, Lord, that where we have fallen prey to conforming to the ways of this world where sin continues to lurk in our hearts, that you would expose it to us, lead us deeper into repentance, and help us to, as your word says, appreciate and approve your goodwill. Ask, Lord, that you would help us in the coming weeks, too, as we see this fleshed out in more practical ways for our community life together, that you would help us, again, to continue in this process of transformation and renewal. Pray this for the sake of Christ and in his name. Amen.